This past Wednesday, <clears throat> Nicole and I and the girls were uh, we were up in Washington D.C. And while we were in Washington D.C., we went to the congregation that we've gone to uh, a couple of times, I guess, when we've been up in that area. And I never can uh, remember the name of it. It's on 16th Street. It's 16th and something, Church of Christ. But anyway, very sound congregation. And you're fortunate if you're up in that part of the world to be able to find a congregation that is sound. Well, we got there, and of course it was Wednesday night Bible study. And the focus of the study for some time had been in chapter uh, Galatians, Galatians, and we happened to be in chapter 5. And so, uh, our study encompassed the uh, first four verses. Let me read that to you. Let's turn there. We'll read Galatians 5, first four verses. In his letter, Paul said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that the law is a debtor to do, uh, that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are uh, justified by the law, ye are fallen for grace. Notice what he says in verse 5 too. A lot of the time when we talk about Galatians chapter 5, we are talking about verse 4, and rightly so. We're making a point about God's grace. But in verse 5 he says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? And so we were talking about grace and faith. And and I noticed as we were doing this Bible study that someone who was not familiar with the complete topic or the teaching on the subject of grace, might go away a little confused. And I'm not saying again for a moment that they were teaching any kind of error, because they were not, they're very faithful. But they were taking for granted, uh, because everyone there was was a New Testament Christian, that we understood what prefaced the statements leading up to we're saved by grace. And that's the truth, we're saved by grace. And so I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, We need to talk about grace more than what we talk about. And it's a subject that is very important because without grace we cannot be saved. And so tonight I want us to talk for a few moments about understanding God's grace. We've talked about grace before, but we need to always be reminded exactly how does grace work. If we were to write a thesis for the topic of the sermon, and when I put together a sermon outline, I always do that. I put a text, I put a thesis statement in my own notes so I know what I'm talking about. So I know what direction I want to go in because sometimes I have a tendency to move in another direction. So I want to try to to corral myself and if we were going to uh, apply a thesis statement to the study Tonight, for a few moments, I think it would be to understand understand God's grace and how it works. I think if someone says, or were to ask, do you understand God's grace? Yeah, I understand God's grace. And understanding God's grace in and of itself, probably not that difficult. 
understanding how it works may be a little more difficult. And so it's not enough to just know what God's grace is. Well, I understand God's grace. I understand what the word grace means. But how does it work? And I think that's where the the religious world gets into a little bit of trouble because I think we take for granted what someone tells us without going to book, chapter, and verse. And there are a lot of organizations in the world that will make that statement, we're saved by grace. Well, what they mean is, we're saved by grace alone. Or we're saved by faith alone. And then they will add in this idea that once you attain grace, or once that you uh, believe and have faith in Christ, that you can never lose that. Well, we just read a passage that denies that. Galatians 5, 1 through 4, and then we must add verse 5. So with that in mind, I want us to turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, in his letter, Paul wrote to the preacher. I want us to notice verses 3 through 8. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness of love of the but after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. It's easy to make a statement or to lift a single statement from the Bible out of its proper context and say, okay, Paul said we're saved by grace, not by works. And that's exactly the truth. We are saved by grace, but what kind of works are we not saved by? Well, we need to understand what those works are. Because in Titus chapter 3, he said we were to maintain works. So we can maintain what we've received from God, which is grace. Considering that, as we look at this idea of grace, I don't know that there's a a topic any more misunderstood, mischaracterized, misapplied, and misused in the Bible than this topic of grace. And I think some people look at grace and they say, well, it's it's more like an afterthought. When we've done all we can do and we've done it to the best of our ability, then God will throw a little grace on us and then we'll be okay. Right? Others look at it that say, uh, you know, it's more like a, kind of like a magic potion. Now, they won't say this, but this is through their teaching what, what is to be understood. It's like a magic potion. You know, when we mess up, then God will throw some grace on us and then we're, we're doing well. They're not mentioning that they're doing the same things over and over and over again that led them to the problem in the first place. Does God's grace cover that? Surely no one would say that God's grace will cover the person who refuses to stop stealing other people's vehicles. Stop robbing banks. Won't do it. 
Is God's grace going to cover that person? Well, according to that doctrine, if you want your saved, you're always saved. You can't lose grace. Well, what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5? He said, you can leave God and you can lose His faith or His grace. Anyway, Paul made the statement, For by grace are ye saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Someone reads that, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, and they say, well, there you go. You're saved by grace, not works. But how are you saved by grace? They, people read right over that word, faith. And they misunderstand what that means. You're saved by grace through faith. What kind of faith? That's the question, isn't it? Is it my personal faith? Can't be my personal faith. It has to be the system of faith. We're saved, or, or uh, uh, God delivered us, and we go from faith to faith. From the system of faith to our personal faith. Paul's talking about the system of faith. We are saved by grace through God's system of faith. Not a, not a mental ascent. Not my personal faith. I have to have personal faith to be saved by the system of faith. And if I'm going to be saved by the system of faith, my personal faith has to be an obedient faith. Right? And now, when we talk to one another, those who are New Testament Christians, we normally don't have that conversation, do we? But we need to have it more. Because we get in a habit of talking about things and we leave out the things that we just take for granted people know. I remember one time... Nicole was telling me the first chemistry class she took, she took it from a professor. He goes in, he starts writing uh, equations or whatever those ugly words are that, that they put on the board, and he left out everything leading up to that because he knew it, and he just assumed everybody else knew it. Well, that's not how it works in the chemistry class, is it? That's not how it works in a Bible class. We have to understand everything. We need to be able to explain it properly, Right? So, if we say we're not, we're saved by grace through faith, it's the system of faith which produces my personal faith, which is an obedient faith. And we need to understand that, right? And so, uh, without God's grace, we can't be saved. Without the system of faith, we can't be saved. But how was it that the system of faith, New Testament Christianity, the gospel, came into the world? Because God wanted to save us. That's His grace. Now I have an opportunity to obey the system of faith through my personal faith of believing what God said, doing the things He's told me to do, and now I can stand justified in His sight. And that's what Paul told Titus. And he explained it. But it takes a little bit of study. It takes a little bit of understanding. And it takes a little bit of time to talk about it, doesn't it? But we need to do that. So we need to make sure that when Paul talks about works, we understand what works he's talking about. He's talking about works that people come up with on their own. I can't be good enough to the, to the downtrodden in this life on my own to get to heaven. I can't feed enough hungry people. I can't clothe enough naked people. I cannot house enough homeless people. I cannot do enough good things in this life 
to get to heaven, but I can work the works of God and maintain those works of God and I can get to heaven. That is what God's grace is all about. So when we look at the idea of God's grace, we have to understand, let's start at the beginning and let's understand what it is. And so when we look at this idea, we first have to understand what our condition is. And that's our first point. What's our condition? What is the condition of humanity that required God, if we were going to be saved, to extend grace? Well, we were dead, spiritually speaking. The first couple sinned. They separated themselves from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, because that's what sin does. And they needed a way back in the sight of God to where they could stand justified. And they were dead in sin. Sin is a terrible thing. To get out of sin, we have to have grace. Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 1, he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's a, uh, uh, that's a past situation. He quickened you who were dead. Now, that's the King James Version. The New King James Version or other modern versions, they will say, He made you alive. Why? Because you were dead in sin. He brought you out of death into life. How? By grace? By grace alone? Well, let's think about that. If it was just grace alone, God wanting to extend mercy, what if He didn't send the gospel system of faith? Could we gain life on His desire or His willingness to extend grace without His actually sending the gospel system of faith? Can't do it. You're not going to be saved with that. Okay, well what about this? He wants to save us, and so He sends a system of faith that we can be a part of if we choose to be a part of it. But what if we choose not to be a part of it? What happens then? I choose not to be obedient. I choose not to allow my personal faith that comes from the system of faith to cause me to be obedient to the demands that God has placed on us. Can I be saved then? Absolutely not. It's impossible. So I need grace through faith and then to maintain my godly works. Right? Not my personal works. I can't do enough on my own. But I can do what God's asked me to do. And so when we look at this idea of death, spiritual death, it's a serious condition. It's a terrible condition. And for those people who are in that condition, it means no life, it means no hope, and it means no future. So in order to get a hope, to get life, to get a future, we have to have God's grace. But we have to have the things that grace uh, produces in order to be able to access it. And I think this is a point where many people misunderstand God's grace. They think they... They have accepted it when they have not. Just because God wants to save the world, just because He's provided a way to save the world, does not mean the world is saved. Why? Because God designed a way to do it, and that's His business, right? I didn't design the way. No one else designed the way. God did not consult me in designing His system of faith and how He wanted to implement His grace He did it the way He knew it needed to be done and the way He chose to do it. And that's where people misunderstand. They simply believe 
that because God loves them and He wants them to be saved, now all of a sudden they're saved because they recognize that. Now, does that make sense? Does that make sense in any other realm of life? What about this? Let's break it down to something that maybe is a little more uh, identifiable. <clears throat> a parent has a, uh, Parents have children. They love their children. Uh, their children want to uh, be able to have a good life in this world. And it reminds me of the prodigal son. But they refuse to take advantage of what the parents offer them to allow them to have a good life. It's there. They'll pay for it. We'll send you to school. We'll provide you a, way, a place to live. We'll feed you. But what if you don't accept it? You know, it's like I've told my girls for years. If you want to use your real name, you can come live at my house anytime you want to and stay here. I'll, t- I'll, I'll support you. When you stop using your real name, you're on your own, right? And so they have to want to take advantage of what is being offered. That's how grace works. Just because I know God loves me, and He wants me to be saved doesn't mean I have uh, gained access to His grace. I've got to do some things. So, when Paul makes that statement, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that means we all need His grace. And he admitted one time, and he told it to, to uh, Titus in verse 3, at one time we've all done these things. We've all been foolish. We've all been sinful. But that's in the past. But what put it in the past? Well, my actions and my obedience, my behavior, the way I changed, right? So, if it stands to reason that all have sinned, and they have, and so anyone who is of an accountable age needs God's grace. But they have to have grace plus the system of faith, which produces our personal faith, which produces obedience, which produces salvation. That's pretty simple when we break it down, right? When we begin to look at it. So why is that necessary? Well, we were dead, and we deserve to be dead, right? We're looking at our condition. Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. Everyone who's come after them has chosen to sin against God. Romans 3.23 again. And so... uh, uh, the person who has not obeyed the gospel, and this is very important for us to understand, the person who has not obeyed the gospel is the focus of God's wrath. I want to be in God's, I want to be an object for God. I want to be in God's focus, but not for His wrath. I don't want to be destroyed. So what do I have to do to prevent that? Notice Ephesians 5 verse 6. Paul warned, he said, let no man deceive you with vain words. Let no one deceive you with empty words that don't mean anything. They sound good, they make me feel good, but we can't back it up with the truth of the Scripture. That's in essence what he's saying, right? For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So how do I prevent that? Don't be disobedient. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Those of us who reared children... We think, boy, we tell them don't do this and we won't have a problem and ultimately they 
end up doing it, there's a problem, and you're thinking, you know, we're not putting the, con- the connecting the dots here, right? Let's stop doing this, and there won't be a problem. Well, sometimes it takes others a little longer to figure out not to do it, you know. Kathy's mother, for instance, you know, had a little problem there. My dad had a problem. Took me a little longer than most people, right? And so, all I have to understand is don't be disobedient. So that means be obedient. But be obedient to what? That I know God loves me? Where does obedience come into that? There's no obedience to that, is there? A child can know their parents love them, but they do not take advantage of what the grace that the parent offers. So there is no obedience in a mental ascent. I have to do something. That's where people misunderstand grace, right? And so we don't want to be the wrath of God. We deserve to be the wrath of God, but instead of being in a condition where we're dead and we deserve punishment, God, through His grace, offers comfort. It's our second point. That's where it comes in, right? It gives us something if we will take it. Do we have to be comforted in this life? No, we can refuse all comfort, can't we? We can refuse any help. We can refuse food, water, shelter. We can refuse medical assistance. We can just simply die alone if we want to. That's up to the individual. So why do we not use that same mindset when it comes to spiritual health? I don't have to accept God's grace. I don't have to accept the medicine of the gospel. I do not have to accept the comfort of heaven. I don't have to do that. But if I want to get to heaven, I have to accept God's grace on His terms. Right? Just because it's a gift doesn't mean I earned it. Right? Just because it's a gift. I got, I've received some gifts for my birthday and I appreciate that. You know, I didn't earn those gifts. Those were given to me by someone's grace because of their love. Right? And it's a nice thing to know that people love you. And so when we look at this idea of God extending grace as a gift, because we do something that there are attachments or, or conditions attached to it doesn't mean I earn it. I received some gifts, but before for them to benefit me, I had to use them, right? I didn't have to use them. They were still offered to me, but it was worthless unless I acted on them and put them to use in my life. So <clears throat> we need to have comfort, but to, re- but to receive comfort and to be able to overcome God's grace... And His mercy is required. So, when someone says, we're saved by grace, Amen. Brethren, we are saved by grace. There is no doubt about it. Without grace, it is impossible to have salvation. Noah was saved because he found grace in the eyes of God. <clears throat> Did Noah sit on a, a, you know, he make a chair, sit down in the house, have supper and say, alright, God loves me. He, he uh, has offered me a way of salvation and I'm just going to wait for Him to save me. No, He went to work. And it took Him decades and decades, hundreds of years to accomplish what God gave Him to do. In fact, God gave Him an additional 120 years to work on that ark and to try to convince the world to believe. But He worked. 
Were those his own works? Okay, let's look at it this way. If they were Noah's works, did he come up with the plan for the ark? Noah had never seen a boat that big. It had never rained on the earth, probably up to that point. He didn't have any idea there was a uh, necessary to have a have an ark or a, a barge-type vessel that big. He couldn't have come up with that plan. How did he know to pitch it in and without? Because God told him. He knew the, the measurements because God told him. He knew what kind of animals to get to repopulate the earth because God told him. Does that mean that he came up with that plan on his own because he obeyed? No, it wasn't his plan. God's works, he was just obedient. That's how grace works, right? To access God's grace, Noah had to build an ark. He had to do what God told him. He had to put those uh, animals on the ark. He had to provide for their food. He had to bring on animals to use as sacrifice and to... Uh, had to bring on extra food for him and the animals. If he hadn't done, if he had left one thing out, what happens to God's grace? Goes away. Goes away. Because he didn't meet the obligations, right? Those things are required. And, if we do the things required, we receive the grace. We receive the comfort. God's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to give us a trick question. He's not leading us on. Well, He makes us do this, 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 and this, and then all of a sudden, uh, no, you got to do something else. No, God said, look, Noah, build an ark. Be faithful to me. Teach what I tell you to teach. Uh, provide for the animals that I'm going to send you to put on the ark. Do what I tell you to do. And then when He did that, He was saved. Period. Period. His grace saved Noah, but Noah had to work to receive that, right? I think that when we look at this idea of 1 Peter 2, and we look at what God has demanded that we do, that becomes a little more clear to us. And so instead of being objects of wrath, we become objects of glory and obedience, right? Notice 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Instead of being an object of wrath, the obedient are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's maintaining those works that Paul talked about to Timothy. And so we need to be able to understand that. We go over to 1 Peter 3 verse 20. And he talks about and uses Noah as an example of how we can gain access to God's grace. Noah built an ark. asked a close friend of mine that I love dearly. I said, what saved Noah and his family from the destruction of the flood? He said, the ark. I said, no, it was not the ark. It was the water. No, it was the ark. I said, well, let's read what Peter said. 1 Peter 3.20 there is also an antitype after having talked about Noah, which now also saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The water lifted up the ark and it preserved Noah. Verse 19 of that chapter says, Noah was saved by that water. The like figure or the antitype where baptism doth also now save us wasn't the ark. Was the ark necessary? You better believe it. Is grace necessary? 
If without it you can't be saved, but you also have to have an obedient faith. You can't have one or the other. You have to have both, right? They're not exclusive. And if a person chooses to return to a lifestyle of sinfulness, they lose that grace. That's what Genesis cha- or uh, Galatians chapter 5 is all about. They didn't understand that, did they? Somehow or another, they missed it. They weren't putting, connecting the dots. They thought that they could be saved because they were adding certain things and perverting the gospel. Paul says, no, no. You change it in one aspect, you lose it all. You lose it all. When we live a life of faith in Jesus, John said we can know that we have eternal life, 1 John 5.13. We're not to go around wondering whether or not we're saved. God wants to save us. That's grace. He's given us an opportunity and a means. That's grace. The Through faith is my being obedient to that system and doing what God wants me to do. If we can't say, I'm saved, I will be in heaven, something's wrong. Something's wrong because I have the rule book. I have the measure. I have the read, the canon. I can look at that and look at my life and say, I'm doing, I'm doing what God asked me to do. I am maintaining these works that Paul spoke about to Titus. So we can know that we can be saved. And so, as we notice the condition, we notice the comfort leads to the crown. That's our last and third and last point. God's truth tells us when we obey the gospel, that's really just the beginning, isn't it? It's not the end. It's just the beginning because we have an obligation to grow in the faith and mature and to be like Paul said, maintaining always those works of God. There are those in the world who want us to believe once God grants grace, once He accepts you, you don't ever have to worry about it. Brethren, that is no, there is nothing further from the truth than that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul said you fall from grace. What does that mean? You lose your position where you were being saved through God's grace, unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We shouldn't have it outside of the fact God loves us and wants to give it to us. Right? He doesn't owe us anything. But I can leave that. John 10, 28. I can leave the hand of God. No man can pluck you from the hand of God. But I can walk out. I can turn my back. Jesus talked about the disciples who followed Him no more. We learn about Judas. Who in the world will maintain that Judas Iscariot is in paradise today? Who would do that? He he was a traitor to Jesus. He sold him for the price of a common slave. And who would maintain today that that man is in paradise with Lazarus and Abraham? That doesn't make sense at all. The rich man didn't do any of those things. But he's in torments because he wasn't faithful to God. We can lose our grace. God's grace makes us alive. It makes us different. It makes us what God expects us to be if we obey His plan of salvation. When people teach there's no obligation on the part of the New Testament Christian in maintaining their salvation, that is a lie from Satan. We need to be able to talk to people and explain why. 
We need to be able to, to talk about all the things that lead up to we're saved by grace. Why are we saved by grace? What brought it about? Why does God even care to save us? But when we do that, we know that uh, we can have what God wants. And if, if I read in the Bible that I can be exactly clear on what God's grace is, I need to understand how do I obtain that. And that's where we need to tell people. We need to be able to talk about the plan of salvation. We talked about the works. That's God's plan of salvation. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's not something that God has placed on us an unnecessary burden. Jesus Himself said, My burden is light. All we have to do is accept God's grace on His terms through faith and we have it. We've got heaven. And that's all we need to really be concerned with, isn't it? God's grace is a wonderful thing. It's life-changing. And we can accept it. And we can have it. And we can tell other people about it. But we need to be very clear when we talk about it. There are too many false teachings in the world that says all you have to have is God's grace. Okay. What if you didn't send the plan of salvation? What if there wasn't the system of faith? Can we be saved then? Impossible. Okay, what if what if everybody says, I'm not interested? God going to make us be saved? That's what Calvinism teaches. He's going to make you have something you don't want. Well, then why in the world didn't He do that in the first place? If that's true, why didn't He do that in the first place? Why did He have to allow Christ to be murdered on the cross? That's not right, is it? That's not reasonable. Because we have a choice. We have to make that choice. If we've never, uh, uh, if in the past we had never accepted God's grace, we'd never tasted the beauty and the wonderment of His grace. But we did through faith, through obedient faith. Now sometimes, like those in Galatia, we turn our backs on God. And we need to be restored to Him. And we do that through repenting of that sin, confessing that if it's public nature, that we need to do it publicly. If it's privately, we still have to repent of that, confess it to God, and ask Him to forgive us. That's what walking in the light is all about. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, do that as we stand and as we sing. <laughs>